0: Personal training is like a dance, right? It's like sometimes you've got to be in control, right? Pull the person along this way. But sometimes you've got to let them, you know, pull you that way and give them a bit of what they want, right? And you don't want to step on each other's toes. Like they've got to respect you enough to go with you when you pull them and you've got to respect them enough when they pull you, right? So it's this back and forth, back and forth. And the communications are very much the same. And that's how you make sure that that back and forth can happen.
1: That, my friends, was Jacob Skeppis. And this is the Euphoria Health podcast. Hey there friends and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health podcast. I'm your host Matt Sapala. Thanks so much if this is your first time joining us today, I truly appreciate it. For you guys that don't know much about me, I'm a qualified personal trainer and the owner and founder of Euphoria Health and Active Living. You're probably sitting there scratching your head, thinking, what is euphoria? Well, euphoria originated from the word euphoria, which is defined as a state of intense happiness or excitement. And that's exactly what I aim to do. Cultivate happiness through movement. I'm so passionate about holistic health and all of its pillars, including nutrition, movement, recovery, and mindfulness. I strive to help educate and inspire you guys to think about ways that you can create longevity with movement. I don't wanna be or promote a one and done solution. Let's work together and focus on building healthy foundations and setting a new benchmark for our health, one that can be sustained for the rest of our lives. This week on the podcast, I'm so excited to introduce to you Jacob Skepis. Well, this man doesn't really need any introduction, but I'm going to attempt it anyway. Jacob is the owner and founder of JPS Training, which is a strength and conditioning slash powerlifting gym in Airport West, Victoria. Airport West is the suburb that both Jacob and I grew up in, and ironically, not all that well known. I always tell people it's pretty much Essendon. Jacob is a fellow personal trainer who has been in the industry for far longer than I have for over a decade. His willingness to upskill and learn more has enabled him to be known as a powerhouse in the space. Anyone who knows Jacob just knows how much of a wealth of knowledge this band is. He is paving the way for future trainers in the space. He does this extremely well through the JPS education portal, which is a space for certified trainers to upskill. Also, a part of the JPS education model is a certificate 3 and 4 in fitness. He is so passionate about raising the standard of personal training in the industry, and it's evident during today's chat. Both Jacob and I spoke at length about the low barrier to entry for becoming a PT and just how the course can leave you severely underqualified in many fields based on the expectation of the fitness industry at the present time. Personal training is a multifaceted role which is, I guess, responsible for requiring a comprehensive understanding of many areas, including program design, nutrition, psychology, relationship building, among many other things. During today's chat, Jacob and I spoke about the fitness industry and specific skill sets and characteristics that a trainer must possess to be effective in the role. We take a deep dive into four main areas in which both Jacob and I agree that a trainer should invest time, energy, and money into upskilling. These areas are communication, verbal and nonverbal, programming, verbal and nonverbal explanation styles, and problem solving. But don't worry, Jacob and I give you the roadmap during the episode. This is an absolute must listen for any current coaches in the industry or people that are thinking of entering the fitness world. These skills will help you stand out from the crowd in such a saturated market. Guys, that's all from the introduction point of view. Don't forget to leave a rating and review for the podcast and share this episode with a friend or two that will find this information useful. This alone is super helpful and it really supports the podcast growth. So guys, grab yourself a pen and paper because you will definitely need it for this one and I'll catch you all on the other side. All right, man, I know we went through it before, but I'm probably going to butcher your last name again. Jacob Skeppis. Skepis, Skeppis. We just went through this. Just told you. <laughs> what a fantastic start. <laughs> Jacob Skepis. welcome to the Euphoria Health Podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's um, it's awesome to be here. I've been following your journey from afar for a little while. Um, mutual friends of mine train here, train under you. Um, obviously, a bit of a powerhouse in the Apple West space, in Drew area, which is where I grew up, spent most of my time. So always driving past Matthews Avenue and seeing little JPS sign up there, which is which is cool. So awesome to be here, man.
0: Yeah, and you're an asshole for never stopping by, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to. know that what we do is being noticed and people are appreciating uh the
1: work that we've put in over the years and what we've developed so thank you yeah i know we were chatting before about you know your work hours and and we're having a little bit of a a quote-unquote joke about living the dream hey only coaching two days a week and we're saying that not many people will see the backstory to that as to the powerhouse of work that you put in over the past decade and beyond to get you to this point yeah uh it's
0: like those very corny uh, motivational images you see on Instagram, yeah, where there's a iceberg in the ocean and it says, "What you see, what's underneath, right? And it's, you can see that the icebergs pointing out and that's all everyone sees, but they don't see what goes underneath that, right. Um, it's very much the truth, right? That's how things are. People see what I do now, or you know when I've started to take a bit of a backseat in coaching clients face to face, uh and they think oh well that's not fair why is he allowed to do that or you know they they think that that's living the dream or you know they aspire to that um but yeah there's a hell of a lot of work that goes into that i remember when i first started coaching i was pt out of recreation health club you're probably familiar with that on buckley street and yeah i was taking pt clients i was Working at reception. I was taking spin classes, boxing classes, cleaning the sauna. I was also working in retail. I was a tennis coach as well at the time. I was playing uh, semi professional football, AFL. Uh, I was hauling ass. I was flipping cars on the weekend as well uh, to save money. And that's where it all began. Like, there was a lot of work before I even had JPS to become, you know, I guess the person that was capable of progressing the business to where it is today. So, yeah, it's been over 14 years of hard work. And now, fortunately, yeah, I'm sort of basking in, uh, yeah, some of the success that uh, I've had as a result of all those efforts over the years, yeah.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. And I can't wait to unpack that a little bit later on in the podcast. But before we dive into the nitty-gritty, I'd love to know, and I'm sure the community would love to know, the most down-to-earth thing about you.
0: I'm probably a big bigger dork than people realise. Um, Elaborate. I love dad jokes. Uh, I'm just a shit stirrer. I love just having fun and having a laugh. Uh, you know, I like to think of myself as a bit of a you know comedian and I try to be the class clown I always have done since I was, you know, in high school. Um, so yeah, people often come in and mention how intimidated they are by me uh, and how scary I, I seem, you know, because I'm a powerlifter, bodybuilder, you know, JPS, and then shit scared. Uh, but then a lot of them are like, oh, you're, you're a big pussycat. Like, you're just a dork. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, I'm just a normal person. Uh, so that's probably the most, yeah. What was the question? It was human- No, not, uh, down to earth. I was thinking humanizing. Yeah, probably the most down
1: to earth. I love asking that question, Jacob, because people see, you know, quote unquote, the glitz and glam on social media, and we all know that that's a highlight reel, and they forget that, you know, you still are a real person beyond that, and I guess sitting across from you right now, um, you're just a normal person, you're in 3D and 4D, however you want to replicate it, and you still like things that humans like, so I love highlighting that before we get into it, and it sort of gives context to, I guess, what we're about to dive into a little bit later on. I think um, it's a great segue into talking about what life was like for Jacob growing up. You mentioned that you were growing up in Essen area. Talk to us a little bit about the upbringing and how that molded the career path that you have today. Uh, do you really want me to dive into my childhood trauma?
0: You know, I pay my psychologist enough, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had me uh, going there. I was like, oh. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I, I could tell I had you go. Um, so i'm a very privileged person uh i come from a place of privilege and i think it's it's only been probably the last maybe four or five years that i've really started to appreciate how lucky you have to be uh, to have success in anything there's a lot of luck and people don't like to admit that Uh, people like say yeah it's all you know hard work and grind baby like no like you hit the genetic lottery, you're six foot eight, you know, you've got legs that are like springboards and you can slam a basketball into a ring over anyone. It's like, sure, you've probably got to work hard and, you know, do your bit, but there's a lot of luck there. Same for me. I was born in Melbourne, very affluent area in Melbourne, uh, had pretty good education, a very supportive, loving family, uh, you know. And, and when I got into PT, a lot of luck went into um, you know, the success we had early on as well because there weren't a lot of PT studios. This is 2012. No one else is doing PT studios. Saw the gyms and that's about it. Um, so I was one of the early adopters. So I was lucky in itself. Um, I also found a place two kilometers from my house. Very, Very lucky. I also knew everybody in the area very very lucky um so my childhood growing up is very much filled with luck and i want to make that sort of the preface before i say anything else like it's very lucky very blessed um but beyond that i'm i was a very obsessive kid Uh, if i wanted to be good at something i would spend hours on hours over days weeks months years trying to perfect it, um, whether it's skateboarding, practicing kick-flipping out uh, in the morning before school uh, and the neighbors having to come in and you know wake my parents up and say, Jacob's you know, making a racket again, uh, to tennis, to basketball, to VFL, to bodybuilding, to powerlifting, to my studies, uh, Bachelor of Law, to learning about nutrition, to opening a gym, whatever it is like I've always been someone who wants to be the best at what they do and i put in the man hours because i always you know i learned from my dad that you know you've got to work hard for things that you want that was one of the things that he taught me so uh with all that luck that i had an opportunity um i think i maximized a lot of it just by working hard and i think that was a combination of nature and nurture because genetically um you know i'm very much wired like my dad he's uh laser-focused, obsessive, you know, perfectionism kind of guy. And obviously, yeah, nurture. The environment that I was around sort of, you know, as I said, by way of luck, very much facilitated somebody who was willing to work hard and take a risk. Uh, And that's something else that I think, you know, my childhood sort of showed me was taking risks is a good thing, you know, from being, you know, on a skateboard, taking that risk and you land it. And everyone's like, whoa, it's rewarding when you take a risk that people think you can't pull off. Um, That's very much uh, how my career in the fitness industry began when I gave the business plan to my accountant uh, to show him that I wanted to do this. He told me I was mad. You're three years into a law degree. you got one year left. My dad's a lawyer, by the way. Uh, So I was going to walk into the family practice. He's like, you're mad. I'd been offered jobs. You know, before I'd even finished my degree, he goes, what are you doing? You're not going to make money. Personal trades do not make money. It's a risk. And I walked out of there. My dad said, you're going to do this, aren't you? I said, yep. And he goes, well, what do you need? I said, just, just support. And he did. And it's really cool. And I think those early moments in my childhood about, you know, taking a risk, getting rewarded for that, uh, like the skateboarding, playing tennis, and just going all in on something, that was a risk. Because it's not cool to try hard. And when I was growing up, that was very much the case. It's not so much the way these days, but back in early 2000s, it wasn't cool to try really hard. Like you're a try hard. That was the thing people used to say. People wouldn't use that phrase to describe someone in an insulting way anymore, right? Because it's like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. It's like, yeah, awesome, man, which is great. But 2005, as a what 14-year-old, you know, Waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning to ride my bike to tennis courts and play in the pitch black before riding my bike to school, to then only play for another five hours after school um, and trying hard was lame. That wasn't socially normal or acceptable behavior, Um, but that was a risk I took because I wanted to be good, but then when I got so good that people couldn't ignore me, great book by the way, um, that was rewarding. So I think, yeah, the biggest risk is not being afraid of failure and trying as hard as you can.
1: It's so much unpacked there. I guess first and foremost, now it's become almost, I guess, quote-unquote sexy to take a risk or to be an entrepreneur and to have that label as a risk taker. But like back in 2012, like I can't speak for that. I'm (laughs) I'm only 24 at the the (laughs) moment. It wasn't sexy. It was, you know, it was not cool to stand out. Everyone just wanted to fit in. So, wow, like it's kudos to you for doing that and sitting back now and reaping those rewards, being one of the first people to admire the risk-taking, and it's scary, right? I just want to add that this is all sort of retrospective, you know, um,
0: thoughts on, you know. It's post hoc justification basically, right? So this is after the fact justification of why I did what I did. At the time of doing it, I really had no idea. But I have tried to better understand myself in the past to understand who I am today. And in doing so, I have thought back to, you know, why did I try hard at things? And I tried hard because I wanted to be Good, but I wanted to be good because I wanted people to notice and like me and all those kind of things that you do as a kid. Um, but it was still a risk, uh, as I said. But yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. We can always justify shit. We always find reasons to justify <laughs> stuff. Who knows if it's right?
1: Yeah, so so true, man. So so true. I am, um, yeah, I admire that. And looking back, and I think reflections, uh, element of my life, I'm trying to incorporate a lot more. Um, I'm sure you can relate. I'm. Being an quote-unquote achievement junkie, you're always looking forward. As a (laughs) 24-year-old, you should be looking forward, brother. But reflection (laughs) is also crucial, isn't it? To be able to sit in and acknowledge the things that you have achieved. Um, And I give that personal advice to a lot of my PT clients, to sit and reflect, acknowledge what you've done, and keep the fire burning to get to that ultimate goal and i think something that i'm constantly working on is reflection instead of just moving forward moving forward moving forward so sitting back and actually having this conversation and reflecting on those things adds perspective and i guess allows you to provide people that may be potentially on the fence about taking a risk um some more advice
0: totally i think reflection is one of those things that the benefits are going to be highly individual and dependent on a number of things. I think one of those things is how much you have to reflect on, right? If you reflect every day, for example, right, that that, that can be a good thing, but you're not reflecting on much beyond, say, 24 hours, right? Um, And if you reflect on, say, six months, well, you've got a lot more to sort of reflect on because you're going to see a larger change in who you are and where you are as a person. I think that is the real benefit of reflection, Right is to assess change over time. And you need to allow yourself a bit of time to change and evolve, hopefully in a positive way, uh, before you reflect. Because too much reflecting, you're not going to move. Right? You've got to actually push things forward and get in there and get your hands dirty and do the work to be a better person, to work harder, to you know be smarter, whatever the case may be. Um, but if you're always reflecting, I think that can undermine the process of self-development.
1: Yeah, Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Now, Jacob, I put the question out to both of our communities about some questions to yeah. ask about the topic of conversation for podcasts. Obviously, wealth of knowledge. You, There's so many different avenues that we could have directed this podcast in. And the overwhelming sense of questions that I got were all around personal trainer education, personal trainer development. And I think, you know, you've built this – this wonderful, I guess, place on raising the standard, as a quote above your head, sorry for the cliche, of the industry and trying to educate and empower trainers to quote-unquote raise a standard. I'd love to sort of preface this conversation before we dive into anything to talk about scope of practice as a personal trainer. And I think, you know, something that conversation can evolve around this a lot. But before we get into it, what is the definition of like a personal trainer and, and their labelled scope of practice?
0: Yeah, so personal training, scope of practice uh, is essentially all of the things, uh, the roles and responsibilities that they are qualified to perform. And that is typically instruction of exercise or group classes, uh, program writing, general health and fitness advice, um, and general nutrition advice. And that's really the extent of it. You cannot prescribe. So there's a difference between giving general advice uh, versus prescription, which is, uh, say, telling people what foods to eat, um, how much to eat, that is outside of scope of practice. Bodybuilding without uh, taking contest prep athletes, uh, for example, or training bodybuilders uh, is also outside of practice, uh, scope of practice, sorry, and so is powerlifting. So what personal trainers need to realize is that their scope of practice is very limited. Uh, when they first get into the industry. And that's why upskilling and doing some further education to get, uh, say, for example, powerlifting certification, a bodybuilding certification, a nutrition certification uh, will increase the scope of what you're allowed to do. Uh, But it is something that's important to consider because with technology these days, people are armed with very powerful devices to communicate to the masses, and record store information uh that could wind up uh in a lawsuit where you are liable for you know your your uh advice or your uh practice that's outside of the scope and that's uh something that i've seen more and more of uh over the years is people and personal trainers uh in litigation because uh, someone did something yeah
1: it's interesting conversation to have because all you have to do is look on a social media news feed and see how far beyond the quote-unquote scope of practice that personal trainers are practicing beyond. Like you, you sit back and you see trainers that are not necessarily nutrition certified or are not nutritionists or dietitian prescribing meal plans to their clients and telling them that they need to do this for X of result. I think it's quite dangerous to um, people with that advice without understanding the full or understanding the person itself and their background, their bloods all of those things.
0: Yeah so a lot of personal trainers are prescribing meal plans um, and giving very generic cookie cutter uh, dietary advice or recommendations and it's hard to say with a lot of confidence that these people know what they're doing because I don't think they do. Um, well, anyone who publicly posts, you know, meal ideas and recipes that isn't qualified to do so or isn't a chef um, signals to me that they're really underqualified in their area. Um, but I think we have a lot of problems uh larger problems i think focusing on you know the malpractice of one individual is probably missing the forest for the trees um there's larger issues at play uh specifically regulation of personal trainers and all that kind of jazz but i'm not here to you know try to enforce uh the rules uh they just are the rules i think it's a good idea if you don't want to get sued to play by the rules so you know you don't end up uh out of a job or you know in financial disarray
1: yeah beautiful said i think to tie that in a bow um why do you think personal trainers push your limits with their scope of practice because it's very competitive because they have
0: to uh there's a lot of personal trainers various entries very low not hard to get the title uh very competitive online uh, and they're all fighting for attention. We live in an economy where attention is the currency. Um, so that's what they're trying to achieve uh, with their sort of out there risque practices, which aren't really that risque. Like really, it's just like some people like how much to eat and shit. It's not like they're prescribing fucking drugs and stuff. <laughs> some probably are, maybe. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of bodybuilding coaches do that kind of shit. Um, but look, it still can be dangerous for the wrong person at the wrong time, right? It still can uh, cause problems. And it can cause people to develop, you know, poor relationship with food, eating disorders, body image disorders. Like there are some, you know, risks associated with it. But again, there's worse things that people do. Like, you know, people can go around selling laxatives and stuff like that. Most people mean well. Um, and I guess what we, yeah, need more of is personal trainers uh, trying to master their craft and actually get good at it um, than do things that are outside of their scope of practice. Like get good at the things that you're qualified to do and get so good at them, as I said, that people can't ignore you. And you won't have to do that kind of stuff. You won't have to offer meal plans and do all these other things that you're not qualified to do just to be uh, seen or competitive with your fellow personal trainers like if you're actually really good at what you do you'll get clients like you won't even need to you know be giving out meal plans like people just come to you to freaking train you know and that's what you're qualified to do
1: yeah I think I want to dive into the important skill sets that a personal trainer should possess in terms of how to master their craft um, but you I want to backtrack a little bit you mentioned before barrier to entry and how that in the industry it's quite low what do you mean by that for people that have never heard that term before
0: yeah, so it's not hard to get a personal training qualification. It's like getting uh, you know, qualification out of a Wax. Um You pay your small fee in comparison to an undergraduate, which is, say, you know, like $40,000, right, for three, four years. Personal training course might cost you three, four grand, whatever it is. Um, cheeky plug for JPS, we teach uh, three and four. Um, and then it's only a six, 12 month course to do versus undergraduate, three to four years plus, you know, potentially postgraduate, all the rest of it. Um, so it's not hard to
1: pay that small fee, do your six months and get a job. Interesting. And you get, you know, I'm sure you've heard of it before, your mates thrown around that term like, oh, <laughs> you got your qualification at the bottom of a cereal box or you haven't, yeah. you haven't really done any hard work to do it. But I guess with that low barrier to entry comes some weeding out of the crowds. You get these people that are doing it to settle and these people that are, you know, really wanting to make a difference to people's life because of the low barrier to entry. Um, yeah, it's an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, I think, don't get me wrong, just because it's easy to get into doesn't mean that the job's easy because what actually happens when you have such a low barrier to entry to a job that is actually so multifaceted and requires a lot of knowledge both a breadth of knowledge across multiple domains and areas and disciplines as well as a depth of knowledge of you know quite a few like psychology nutrition exercise science um, yeah, the, like three domains are huge you could spend your entire career studying one small area like uh, you know muscle protein synthetic response to resistance training right one small topic you could spend your entire like 20 30 40 year career studying and researching and personal trainers have to know quite a lot about hypertrophy, fat loss, uh, nutrition, nutrition for health, uh, weight loss, fat loss, performance. You know, in some cases, they need to understand behavior modification, You know, uh, psychology, all this kind of stuff. Um, and the fact that they're expected to know about all this stuff in six months leaves them really underprepared and actually underqualified to do the job and it's really hard and not only that, many of them end up working for themselves. So they're self-employed and they have to do other roles, run a business and they haven't got any business qualifications. They have to know marketing, sales, digital. So don't get me wrong, personal trainers are up against it from the get-go and I don't think it's uh, anyone's fault for personal trainers acting outside of scope. Uh, I think it's a systemic issue. you know, with a lot of things uh, related to qualification and regulation.
1: Yeah, beautifully summarized. And, you know, being in the industry for, what, seven years now, starting my own thing from 18 years old, like, learnt those crafts. And you only learn through trial and error. You learn how to do marketing. You learn how to do the business side of things. You learn how to have conversations and communicate with people effectively. You learn how to write a program because the stuff that you learn in the course isn't going to give you the, all you need for life. You know, you're constantly evolving. And I think you hit the nail on the head that just because the barrier of entry is low doesn't mean the job's easy.
0: Yeah. And that's why I think uh, for personal trainers, ongoing education is really important um, because you are left to your own devices once you've finished your qualification and If you want to be good, you want to survive and thrive in the industry, you have to be good at what you do. And that requires you to keep learning.
1: Beautifully summarised. Hey, friends, just a quick word from a sponsor of the show and then we'll get right back to it. My Euphoria Health community would know that I adopt a plant-exclusive diet, a diet that is often labelled as lacking nutrients. While majority of the essential nutrients can be attained from a plant-rich diet, there are some nutrients that need a little extra love. Lucky for us plant-based folks, Emil have formulated the essential 8 multinutrient, which features some key nutrients that plant-based eaters may fall short on. The eight key nutrients formulated in the capsule include omega-3, iodine, selenium, iron, vitamin D3, vitamin B12, calcium and zinc. Conveniently, just two capsules per day provide me with the ability to bulletproof my plant-rich diet, as well as ensuring I'm not falling short on any nutrients of focus. I personally take two capsules of essential eight every day with breakfast, which ensures I can maintain my vital, bubbly self and continue to promote active living within the community. The best part about it is that Emile have taken the hassle out of the reordering process through their monthly subscription model. Essential 8 just arrives at my doorstep each month, no questions asked. To get yours, head to www.emile.com forward slash euphoriahealth. That's wwweimelecom forward slash euphoriahealth. And use the code Health at the checkout for an extra 5% off your first order on top of the generous subscription discount. I will also have a direct link in the show notes. Alright, let's get back to it. A great segue into skill sets that a personal trainer must possess to be quite quite effective and you can be effective in multiple different fields like you said before you can really target one niche but I think there's a few skill sets that resonate with me personally looking from the outside and being in the industry for seven years much less time than you but I think that I want to get your opinion on what do you think the most important skill sets are for personal trainers to possess for people that are currently studying their Cert 3 and 4, people that are in the industry and people that have been in the industry for their whole life. What do you think are the most important skill sets?
0: Communication. Number one, if you can't talk to people and you can't relate to them, uh, you're going to have a very hard time uh, having a career in the fitness industry because it's all about people. And people management it's a service-based industry so communication is key uh you also have to be a master at teaching movement because again that's one of the primary things that we're qualified to do so you've got to be super competent at getting people to move and that also means making people feel better when they move Um, and obviously that's you know a more complicated statement than what it seems people are going to feel sore and hate at the start right when it's difficult challenging sometimes they want to rock up all that kind of stuff but you've got to make people want to exercise and I think that comes down to both the communication side but also being able to effectively program and teach
1: instruct exercise I'm going to stop you there, Jacob, but I want to dive into the communication side of things because I think this is a really important skill set for PTs to learn how to master. Give us an example of how someone would effectively communicate with their client. Obviously, it's very broad, but give us an example of how you effectively communicate with your clients. I
0: establish rapport, first and foremost. So I want to know enough about this person that we can connect because you can't, Uh, build a relationship with someone. That's what personal training is. It's a relationship. It's not just providing a one-off service like a haircut. It's an ongoing relationship where you're seeing people very regularly. So you've got to get along. And to do that, you have to have some kind of rapport with this person. It could be common interests. Um, It could be their interests, right? Sometimes we have to care about other people's interests. Um, It could be the same sense of humor, whatever it is, find some common ground and then use that as the launch pad to start building that relationship, um, and I always like to think, coach, speak, client, and I and I very much feel that humor is, is medicine for a lot of people. Like most people come to a personal trainer because they're they're struggling with their fitness, right? Um, so if you can, make light of, you know, the world and the things around you, and make them have a good time, make people smile, and feel good, and laugh. I think that as part of the communication process is. Critical because it opens up um, the line of communication because people all of a sudden they relax a little bit, they're not on edge, worried about what they're going to say, how they're going to say the right or wrong thing, um, and playing their cards close to their chest. So, yeah, I really like to just make people feel comfortable. And you know, to do that, you have to really consider what this person has experienced in a gym setting, for example. You know, are they confident? Are they having a good day a bad day are they a shy person are they nervous anxious Um, and really try to adapt your communication style to that um, so that you're always kind of like dancing like good personal training is like a dance right it's like sometimes you got to be in control right pull the person along this way but sometimes you've got to let them you know, pull you that way and give them a bit of what they want, right? And you don't want to step on each other's toes. Like they've got to respect you enough to go with you when you pull them and you've got to respect them enough when they pull you, right? So it's this back and forth, back and forth. And the communication is very much the same. And that's how you make sure that that back and forth can happen.
1: I love that analogy about dancing. I <laughs> think it's super super relevant. And I think just to add to that, matching people's energy as well. Like if you're coming into the situation heightened and you've got someone that's just walked into the, the gym for the first time, it's automatically red flags for them because you're not matching the energy. Be able to read the oh, room. Oh man,
0: the amount of personal trainers I have seen in big box gyms that you know a client comes in, you know, overweight client, and they're like, All right, are you ready to go today? Like and they're all hyped up and it's like this person is petrified of a gym and they're like yelling and screaming, like drawing attention to them. It's like you failed empathy class. You know what I mean? Like you, you clearly can't, you know, walk in the shoes of other people. And There's a bandwidth to our empathy, right? It's like there is only so far uh, we can go when it comes to understanding someone else's experiences. And once we reach that limit uh, where we haven't experienced anything similar, it's like all we can do is sympathize at that point. We can't empathize. And there's a really important distinction there. And I think, yeah, that the communication piece, uh, something that's imperative to that is empathy uh, and always being aware, as you said, like trying to match people's energy, but also trying to like put yourself in their shoes. You know, why are they here? What are they experiencing? What are they struggling with? Uh, you know, what would they feel like if I do this or say this? Uh, I think just great people skills are absolutely necessary as a coach.
1: So we've gone through rapport, we've gone through finding that common ground, um, matching energy levels. Do you think there's anything else in terms of building communication that would, you would like to add? before? Yeah, we... just
0: your communication style, like you, obviously your verbal and non-verbal uh, communication, right? So you've got to consider that. When it comes to the verbal communication, I do like to think, coach, speak, clients. Uh, I will refrain from using scientific jargon or very complicated words uh when necessary. As a young personal trainer, I did not do that. I tried to sound as smart as I could by using the most, you know, over the top language that I could come up with. And yeah, people listened, but did they understand? Probably not. Um, so making sure that the person actually understands and gets what you're saying. Um, and yeah, your nonverbal verbal cues, as I said, it, that comes down to that matching. Uh, you know their energy or whatever, but your nonverbal cues can really be powerful you know uh, when someone's you know feeling a little bit down, like you know just a gentle tap on the shoulder in a not creepy way. Like I have to preface that these days. Um, I have to qualify it, sorry. Um, you know can, can do a lot, right? Like when someone's you know nervous uh, in the gym setting instead of like standing up if they're sitting down, get, getting lower than them. Right, like what that's what's called proxemics, and it's basically like physical distance and uh, space, time, communication kind of thing. Um, So I think those kind of things are really important. And if you're just aware, just being self-aware, right, Uh, being able to read a room and navigate social situations uh, takes practice, right? Like I've worked with fucking thousands of people. I've seen thousands of people in like the twelve years, thirteen years I've been coaching you know, whether they're my clients or other coaches' clients coming into the facility. It's like thousands and thousands of people. And I don't think there's many jobs, if any, where you get that kind of exposure to people on like quite an intimate level, right, Uh, and ongoing as well. Like you have to sustain those relationships to some degree. Um, And it's not easy, but if you practice and you, you understand, I guess, the big rocks, you can get better at it. It's like anything. It's just a skill.
1: Definitely. I think a thing that goes unnoticed is actually your ability to listen effectively, right? Like showing that you're listening through those um, nonverbal cues, like you just said. Putting your phone down, putting the program book down, and actually looking that person in the eye can go a long way and listening to what they're saying and repeating words that they've said in the, in the last sentence automatically builds that level of trust and builds that level of rapport. And it makes them feel confident and safe in the environment. So listening is such an underrated skill in any industry, let alone the, the fitness industry.
0: Yeah. hundred percent listening is critical. And I guess to yeah summarize that, it's like, we've got one mouth, two ears and two eyes for a reason, right? Like pay attention with your eyes and your ears. Um, and don't listen just to speak. Right, listen to understand. Like people are afraid to ask. Oh, you know, what did you mean by that? You know, when they're starting out with a new client, because they they don't want to make it seem as if they're unsure. But you know, asking questions, you know, and, and diving deeper into a conversation with someone shows that you're listening. Right? It's like the more questions you ask about the things that they're saying, if they're obviously the right things to ask and there are right wrong things to ask if someone says you know I'm struggling with my weight loss and you say oh are you struggling with your weight loss that's clearly the wrong question because you weren't listening but if you say well why do you think you're struggling with your weight loss like that's that's demonstrating that you're listening not just saying cool yeah well you know and then talking like that's not listening Um, so asking questions about the things that people say I think is really important because people like to be heard they want to speak And I think a big part of communication is giving people confidence to speak to you, making them feel like they can talk to you about anything. And to do that, you have to give them a platform and a microphone to say, here, talk to me. You can talk to me. I'm listening. And asking good questions that are relevant and is meaningful to that person is your ticket to
1: achieving that. And I think in such a service-based industry where you're, you know, you're with this person for 45 minutes, 60 minutes, three times a week, however long it is, you need to be able to understand how to relate to that person as well. And by simply repeating what that person has told you and asking not even a different question, just simply repeating it, how does that make you feel? How does wanting to lose weight make you feel? It suddenly unlocks this new level of thinking for that person and they can dig deeper and tell you more and you can find out that true motivator for that person which automatically builds rapport gives you another um motivational guess, tool yeah yeah an ability to to help that person um feel confident and safe i totally
0: agree yeah the more you ask why and you know challenge people like why they want to do things whatever it's like that's just a great way to understand their deep underlying motivation and you can harness that and, you know, link that to their behaviors, you know, you're doing these behaviors, like you're eating protein, you're exercising, you're eating vegetables, because you want to feel more confident in the skin that you're in, you know, as opposed to they just want to lose weight. You say, why? And you keep going down, oh, I want to feel confident in this dress. Why do you want to feel confident in this dress? Oh, because I haven't felt confident for a long time, and I want to feel confident in my skin.
1: Bang. That is a powerful way to motivate people. Definitely, definitely. I think to tie this in in a bow when someone comes to you I guess a new client a new prospect they're telling you their goal because they think that's what they want you to hear I want to lose 10 kilos they think that that's what you want to know alright cool let's give you a 10 kilo weight loss plan let's throw you on an 8 week program blah 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 I think you're doing a massive disservice as a trainer by not finding out that person's true motivator you're giving them an end date for what is a lifelong journey right? it's just an empty
0: goal you know it's it's it might be a worthy goal, it might be something that they want, but uh, they don't know why they want it, you know, and they don't really understand why that goal is important. I think it's very superficial. When something's superficial, it's easy to break. Yeah, it's fragile. It's a fragile, lofty goal that they can just break at any time because it doesn't, you know, hit a hit an earth. It doesn't hit home and, you know, really have some connection to their... Desire to be a better person, for example, um, and yes, I, yeah, I think people often need to spend more time thinking about why they want to set these goals, and personal trainers need to help their clients in that process, as opposed to just being like, "Yep, this was ten kilos. Let's get you on that, you know, eight-week diet." Like that's not going to solve much because they're going to break that, you know, um, promise to themselves because there was no promise in the first place.
1: Awesome. I think before I interrupt you, before to dive down that communication rabbit hole, you were talking about um, simplifying and explaining exercises effectively. Do you have anything more to elaborate on that?
0: Have a process, have a system, uh, and do your homework before you you know teach an exercise. I think a lot of coaches go in there blind and you know just see exercise and just teach them, and they're not really thinking about it. Um, You know, so I have systems and processes for everything. So step one is um, to just explain the movement, what it's programmed for, you know, what muscles it's going to target, all this kind of stuff. uh, you know, if I need to go further and explain, say, the joints, actions, the muscles involved, I will. Um, maybe some biomechanical considerations, like where it's going to feel hardest, where it'll be easiest, what muscles are going to be challenged at what points in the range of motion, uh, so on and so forth, what they might feel. So that's stage one, just talking about the exercise in general. Step two is a demonstration by myself, where I'll show them five, ten reps, and I'll give them one, to two cues to focus on. And then step three is getting them to perform it and having some discussion afterwards and feedback from them as to how they felt it went and providing them some adjustments and cues from there. And then also having a progression and regression model. So this is separate to the teaching movement, uh, but ties in, and it's very important, a progression and regression model for each movement pattern. So working from, say, a squat to a box, to a goblet squat, to a hack squat. To a high bar squat, to a low bar squat, to a front squat, for example, right, and then being able to work people through that, and having different sort of branches, so we could have you know unilateral squat variations, pistol squat, for example. We could have um, you know not, no eccentric loading or high stimulus to fatigue variants, or machine variants from the squats and you know, leg press stuff like that. And I think that's important when you're teaching movement because it helps you streamline the process when a client starts you know where they're going to start okay they're going to start if they haven't done an exercise four maybe a squat to a box or a goblet squat that's good teaching tools them there what are their goals do they want to build muscle or do they want to get stronger though okay they want to build muscle maybe just go to leg press maybe go to hack squat okay but they want to do a squat they like the movement they want to, you know lift 100 kilos cool we now we go down that direction so you have a plan and it it's always better to have a plan uh, for teaching movement than it is to not have a plan because otherwise it wreaks insufficient knowledge and understanding it does when you're just teaching someone exercise and they're doing it and you're just like oh it just trains it back it's like great they know that they can feel that tell them something else tie it back to why they're training in the first place well you know that dress you want to feel confident in well it's backless right yeah <sighs> You want to have a nice, sexy back, you know, and it's going to definitely make you feel confident, right? And f- feeling strong in your back, it's like you feel like you can carry the world on your shoulders, right? It's like these are the things that, you know, you can achieve with someone if you've actually got some platform to describe why they're doing it. Okay, we're doing this because it's going to train these muscle groups. Um, it's a great exercise for. These muscle groups um, and these muscle groups won't get trained as much, but we'll do them in other exercises. Uh, it's good for getting tension. This exercise is good for getting stronger, challenging nervous system, so on and so forth. And I think if you don't have these kind of uh, systems in place, your clients will just be training and it's meaningless. And they're not going to buy into it.
1: I think that summary and that description that you gave before is a perfect example of how to do all three of those things that we spoke about before. Lead with humor. Build rapport, find common ground, and explain the exercise efficiently in a way that the person can understand. Right, Absolutely. tying it back to their goals, telling them they want to get a nice back. The dress is backless. Yeah, you're going to get a nice, sexy back is a joke, right? Yeah. You're building that rapport. The person's going to laugh. Finally, they can understand the movement. They're like, oh, cool, I like this, without them even knowing that they're doing it. They're Absolutely. like, oh, I like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, spot on. I think that's a really good way to yeah, piece all that
1: together. Yeah, I think uh, something that I see in the industry. And over here from different explanation cues from different PTs is a complex um, description of the movement that it's going to be. And I think I hear this quote often and I mention it in almost every podcast that I do about training and coaching. If you can't explain the movement to a six-year-old, then you don't really know the movement. And often PTs are trying to impress other trainers by their use of these scientific terms you know this jargon that the person doesn't understand and as soon as they hear that one word that they don't understand they've lost interest so finding common ground and Sarah and Nemi in our last podcast that we recorded used the KISS principle keep it simple stupid and I think it's so important for trying to understand that totally
0: Uh, yeah when it comes to like a squat bend your knees sit down these are cues that I use now you know not externally rotate at the hip, not, you know, dorsiflexion at the ankle. It's like, sure, right? Sometimes if you want to get a bit of buying, you say, oh, yeah, this, you know, you might need to raise your heels when you squat because you don't have much, um, you know, dorsiflexion, for example. And they'll be like, what? Your ankles are quite tight. Like, sure, that's fine to get some buying, right? <laughs> that's fine to get some buying sometimes, but, oh, the shit, they know what they're doing. But when it comes to teaching movement, you're trying to get somebody to, Perform, because that's what we're talking about here, performance. We go through stages of competence, yeah? There's uh, subconscious incompetence, which is you're not aware that you're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. That's when you gotta teach. That's where it's gotta be simple, right? It's gotta be simple all throughout this process, but you can use a little bit more sort of technical stuff here because you're trying to teach them. And this is usually very low threshold environments, right? They're not performing 100 max at this stage. Right, They'll be like doing bodyweight squats and you try to teach them. So you can be a little bit more technical in the teaching phase here. But then you've got conscious incompetence, which is where the way you teach movement should start to change because now the person is actively trying to get better. And if you're throwing too much technical stuff in there, confusing them, that's not going to help them get better any quicker. It's going to slow them down. And then finally, you have conscious confidence, where they're still obviously actively aware of what they're doing, but they're getting better at it. That's great. And you have subconscious competence. That's like the flow state. And that's where you just shut up and let them do their thing, right? Because they, they know what they're doing. Their body knows what they're doing. It's trained for this thing. So as you can see through those different stages, the way that you approach teaching uh, should be molded uh, to the stage. So you can have a little bit more of a conversation, technical stuff to get the buy-in in in that first stage right provided it doesn't hinder their ability to actually do the thing right and get it like they got to get it and then add the context and the sort of technical stuff around them understanding it and then stage two you really need to start just providing the useful stuff you should have figured out what's useful by this stage okay they these cues click These words, they understand, right? Because a lot of trial and error in that first stage. These things work, we'll use that. And then when it's conscious confidence, that's where you're just really encouraging and supporting because they're they're confident. You just encourage and support. Come on, keep going. Keep working harder. And then stage four, shut up and listen.
1: Love it. Beautifully said. I think, and throughout this whole process, you've got to actually understand and communicate effectively. So it comes back to that first step that we spoke about, communication, and you can see the common the common thing that we keep talking about is communication. So know, know your stuff, know how to talk. I think another tip or another thing that I want to dive into is problem solving, and I think that's a really important thing as a trainer to sort of tie in the skill set. Problem solving for me is the ability to understand if someone's got an injury not to perform that movement or understand a modification that's going to be able to target that movement still or target the the movement pattern, help them achieve their goals rather than just saying oh you can't squat today, let's do a plank. Do you have anything to add?
0: Problem solving is a big uh, part of the coaching puzzle. That's what we do essentially. Um, And we're going to face many problems and I think The problems are going to exist in different areas of a client's training and diet depending on their level of advancement, right? So more beginner clients, their problems are going to be usually adherence, buy-in. So you've got to know what kind of problems are common to the different demographics and at different stages of their development. So gen pop clients, for example, that's the demographic. Uh, Beginner gen pop clients, they're usually going to struggle with motivation, adherence, uh, you know, buying into the process, consistency, all these things. So then now you're armed with knowledge of where those problems are going to occur. And you have to have a somewhat systematic process for working through these problems. Uh, so you have to identify the problem first and foremost. You have to have a way to provide a solution to that problem that is individualized to the client that actually allows or helps them rather uh, solve that problem and you probably have to provide some evidence or rationale uh, to support why you've given them that solution right so that they buy into it and for example if you have the problem clients a gym pop client isn't uh you know eating enough protein and it's like okay great well here's some ways you can eat more protein have a shake straight after your workout as soon as you leave the gym have a shake and they go, well, why do I need to eat protein? You give them that uh, explanation rationale and then you have your evidence for that. But being able to pick up on problems isn't hard, really. Like there's just going to be different problems at different, for different people at different stages of their training. Um, the harder stuff comes when people get more advanced, right? Um, and I think that's very much a programming uh, area. And a lot of coaches, I feel, probably don't have the knowledge of programming that I would like to see in the industry. I think it's getting better, it's definitely getting better, but I think having a better understanding of programming can solve a lot of uh, issues for many coaches. But we will work on that over the years. That's what JPS uh here to do.
1: Raising the standard, hey? Hopefully. I love it, and I guess to tie that up, I'd love to know your order of importance for those four things we spoke about, communication, programming explanation and problem solving what would you
0: oh programming 100 number one no i'm kidding um, communication is number one communication because even if you have a well-designed program that ticks all the boxes when it comes to the principles and variables uh, and the individual's requirements and developmental needs if you can't communicate that program effectively to the client it's worthless right so communication with number one uh, after that, what were the four things that I listed off?
1: Uh, we've got programming, explanation, problem solving.
0: Explanation, I think, was part of communication. So it be communication, problem solving, then programming. Because if you're good at communicating and problem solving, that would generally take care of the programming.
1: Love it. This podcast is brought to you by Emil, a health and wellness company backed by science to help you become the most vital version of you. Greens powders can often be clunky, grainy, hard to digest and can leave you feeling bloated. Luckily for you, a alongside leading scientists and expert formulators have designed Shine Greens. Shine Greens is a perfectly curated blend of over 60 nutrients which can support digestion, reduce bloating, improve vitality and support your overall health and well-being by assisting the body's natural detoxification process. I personally take Shine Greens daily. Just one sachet in my daily smoothie leaves me feeling energized enough to continue to do the job that I love the most, which is promote health and active living to my community through the power of movement. To get yours, head to www.emile.com forward slash euphoriahealth and click on Shine Greens. That's www.eimelle.com forward slash y-o-u the number 4-i-a-health and use the code Euphoria Health at the checkout for a nice little discount. It's important to note that any modifications to your diet and lifestyle should be done so under the guidance of your healthcare practitioner. All right, now let's get back to the show. I was going to ask, next, as a consumer, what do you think would be the best things to look out for when seeking a coach? But I think, you know, it's perfectly summarized. Everything that we spoke yeah, about. Yeah,
0: I, I think we've covered definitely. most things. They've also got to have a, ch- have a good track record of helping the people uh, similar to you, right? It's like you want to see them get the results with people. Yeah. I think that's a coach's biggest Uh, advertisement or uh, they should be on their CV for example is here are all the people that I've helped testimonies transformations progress photos and remember progress like your transformation doesn't have to be a visual before and after I'm talking like somebody could write a statement and say hey before I started coaching I smoked I was taking medications you know I was eating like rubbish I'm the same weight now but I exercise four times a week I don't smoke I'm off my meds like that's huge that's more valuable more life transforming than losing 10 kilos and having a you know shredded physique after you know the diet
1: yeah beautifully summarized I think I pride myself on educating people around me that it's not just a before and after photo It's not progress it's the journey and it's just a marketing tool Definitely. Now, Jacob, I know we're cautious on time and I'd love to dive into some rapid-fire questions just to summarize the podcast and feel free to take as long as you want to answer these questions because they can be um, a little bit more in-depth. First one, one bit of advice you wish you knew when you first started in the industry.
0: It's okay to say that I don't know and to ask others for help.
1: Very humbling response. I love it. What do you think the number one course for PTs to upskill You know that I'm very
0: biased here. You make me look like, you know, I'm just (laughs) peddling my own shit, man. Um, Well, given that I have spent countless hours uh, well, decades, a decade, investing into understanding this craft better and better, uh, the JPS Mentorship course is, in my opinion... Uh, one of the best courses for personal trainers who have already got the Cert 3 and 4, or even if they don't have the Cert 3 and 4, they want to actually learn the stuff that matters about programming, diet, how to teach movement, how to get clients, how to build your business, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty good. How do you stand out as a PT in a saturated market? Be so good that they can't ignore you.
0: Help as many people as you can in the best way that you can. And if you do that, you'll have an army of people ranting and raving about you, and you'll never have to look for another client again, because everyone will want you to help them.
1: What are some self-limiting beliefs that PTS make or have?
0: Imposter syndrome is huge. Uh, they feel like they're an imposter if they post about, you know, certain things that they're not an expert on, or you know, that. This is what you should do, and they're not doing it. You know themselves all the time. You know uh, that would definitely be a huge one that I've noticed. Um, and also probably just being overly confident in the knowledge. You know the old Dunning-Kruger effect, where they're you know lacking knowledge, but they're overly confident in their lack of knowledge. That's dangerous. Um, when you come out the other side of the Dunning-Kruger effect, you realize that you actually know nothing, and your confidence, even though you know a lot, right? Even though after my 12 years in the industry, um, I know that I know heaps. But I still feel like I know nothing, if that makes sense. And, you know, uh, I know a lot more than most people. And there's coaches out there who know fuck all that have way more confidence in their knowledge than what I do. Yeah, so that's a big one as well.
1: I think being humble and open to learning from everyone, right? Whether they've just stepped in the industry first day or they've been in there for a decade, you can still learn something.
0: You can learn. Absolutely, you can learn from everyone. Absolutely. But whether you can learn from a PT who's fresh out of their 3 and 4, it's going to be limited to what you can learn from them, but you absolutely can learn. Um, But it's just how confident you are when you're just starting out in something, Right. So when you just start something, you should be very aware that you've got a lot to learn, a lot more to learn than other people anyway. Um, and I think if you're not aware of that, that's going to be hugely self-limiting. Like you're going to impact how much you're going to be able to learn in a big, big way. And you're going to make a lot more mistakes that way. You know, that, that confidence can be dangerous. And I know that too all too well because I've made that mistake myself.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And last question, mate, we've said it before in the podcast, it's sitting above your head. What does raising the standard mean to you?
0: Leaving the industry better than I found it. That's about it. I think I've done that so far. Um, but yeah, we've got, we got more to do. And hopefully we'll get there.
1: Jacob, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting across from you, man, and picking your brain. I think so many people in the industry, whether you're a PT or not, will get so much knowledge out of this episode. So thank you so much for showing your wisdom, mate. For people that are intrigued about the courses and everything you've said, where can people find out about
0: more? Just head to and search JPS on uh, all social platforms. It's been a pleasure. Great, man. Thank you very much, my brother.
1: Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. I hope you got as much out of today's episode as I did. As usual, let us know that you're listening by screenshotting the cover of the podcast and tagging Euphoria Health in on socials. Don't forget to subscribe to the Euphoria Health podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a nice little review if you're loving the show. Stay happy and stay healthy and let's get moving. I'll speak to you guys next week. The information found on euphoriahealth.com or any of its media platforms is intended for educational purposes only. Any statements made on these platforms are not intended to diagnose, cure, treat or prevent any disease or illness. Please consult with your medical practitioner before making any changes to your current diet and lifestyle.